Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Alan Smith, and today is Thursday, October 1st, 2009, and we're back on the air broadcasting live from Citrus County, Florida. We're about 80 miles north of Tampa, so you kind of get a feeling of where we are at. And appreciate you joining us this afternoon. We put this show together. Barry and I are my uh, co host and executive producer, Barry Stutsky. He's with us. Barry, you're on the line there. I see you. Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can hear you fine. So we're just now kicking this thing off and uh, uh, appreciate everybody joining us this afternoon and listening in. And we're going to be talking about uh, health care reform and exactly what that is and uh, uh, what needs to be done. What are the possible solutions to uh, reforming health care? That's uh, the big thing in the news these days and how that can affect uh, truckers and truck driving. And um, one thing, Barry, I've noticed is... Uh, I, I can now I can now get Blue Cross and Blue Shield cheaper than I can uh, through uh, an employer. What you can actually get a better deal uh, going out on your own than through an employer? Yeah, yeah. On many many that I've seen in in the uh, with these uh, you know premium cost you know spiraling up and and but we did some checking and uh, I can actually I can actually get medical coverage cheaper through Blue Cross and Blue Shield can I, than I can through uh, what uh, some of my former employers are offering, which is kind of amazes me, you know. Yeah, you would think with the uh, ability to have uh, a couple thousand employees or whatever on a plan, they could do some shopping around. I'm just wondering if there's a difference in the level of coverage or something that's creating it there. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's the first time I've seen it, though, but... Um, but we're going to dive in there. We're going to talk about this, and uh, we have a uh, Barry. You set us a, a special guest today. Uh, uh, let me look here. Uh, I've got something flashing here. Okay, it's gone. Whatever that was. Uh, Mike Johnston is with us, a special guest, and uh, let me bring him up here. We're just going to let him introduce himself. And and uh, area code five seven zero. I'm sure that's you, Mike. How you doing? Oh, all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to glad to have you on. And Barry kind of set this whole thing up. We changed the time on you, but I appreciate you uh, still getting in here and uh, joining us this afternoon. Um, just tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and you know who you are, what you do, your websites, and that kind of thing. All righty. Well, you're kind of going to have to bear with me today because it's sort of a last minute thing. I got called to go try to get my ex-wife's car started, but I got about an hour to drive, so that's okay. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm on the iPhone now, so it's mobile broadcasting. But um, a lot, of, a lot of what I've been, I've been doing, I've been involved in the trucking industry and you know various other stuff. And over the last year, I was doing a lot with the uh, Pickens Plan grassroots community on alternative energy and such, and got to start going to a lot of functions in Washington, D.C. relate through that and met people at um, like the Cato Institute and um, the Center for American Progress and started getting a pretty good idea of the whole range of, of what's going on, you know, in, in the political world now. So then the healthcare thing came up and everybody decided to forget about energy for a while and, and just focus on this. So you asked me to come on, and I thought, yeah, sure. I mean, I certainly got some opinions on it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying, too. I mean, this is just kind of all you hear about now, this health care and everything, and, and uh, it kind of goes along with that. But, Barry, what, um, I mean, 
what what kind of reform are you looking at? What what are we needing? And I mean, isn't our health care plan working now? Barry? Oh yes, me. Uh, well, what? It, it was hard to hear there for a minute. I was hearing. Uh, I guess it's uh, Mike. By the way, hey, thanks for coming on, Mike. I just wanted to uh, throw a little bit out there how this happened. Is uh, me and Mike were communicating on Twitter, and uh, he was throwing out ideas, and we were going back and forth. But at one point in the conversation, what became obvious is that even if we didn't agree on particulars about what needed to happen, one thing we did agree on is that something needed to happen and that reform in the healthcare system was critical. And the other thing that occurred to me is that part of the reason that a lot, this and a whole lot of other issues don't, don't get resolved is because the conversation never happens. And uh, I thought about starting off the show, tell you the truth, with some sound bites from both sides of, uh, both sides of, the, uh, of the debate. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. That's going to be kind of a downer. So uh, I just want to put this out there. Whether you support health care reform or you're against it, either way, you're a Nazi. And that will kind of solve that. But Mike was willing to hang with the conversation. And I just thought that if we just focused on solutions to what's going on, that uh, maybe for a two, one ex-driver and a couple that are still driving could actually come up with uh, some ideas that would work, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of it that people, you know, there's no background to it. All it's presented as is this is where it is now. What do we do? But, I mean, if you, if you look at the background of it, um, I'm sorry, I just I had to get out, and I know I got a lot of traffic noise because I had to get some fuel here. But, um, you know, when the middle class in America was really creative was after World War II. And, uh, you know, all the vets were coming home, and the industry was booming, and there were programs that vets could get homes, that they could get training, that they could get all this. And um, that, coupled with the unions the way they were then, is really what created the American middle class. And ever since then, it's, it's been a gradual erosion of all that. So now we're down, you know, to where NAFTA and, and globalization and everything have made it a lot cheaper for companies to do business. And um, as part of it, it's been a trend to, uh, you know, cut costs by eliminating benefits to employees. So you don't get the free health care anymore. You don't get, you know, a company-funded pension. You know, they've essentially shifted the costs of those things onto the employees without raising, you know, wages to compensate for it. Hang on one second. Should I get a pack of, uh, let's say, oh, well, that kind of, I kind of agree along with that, Barry. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, there was a time, and it wasn't all that long ago, where, where, well, part of it's the cost. I mean, uh, since between uh, 2000 and 2007, I want to say the actual premiums have doubled. Uh, fam, family average was around six grand in 2000. And it's sitting at twelve thousand, and, and couple that with the fact that uh, a lot of the ninety, maybe ninety percent of the industrial base got exported. So you just got a situation where you have uh, a lot of uh, service industry jobs that don't pay all that well to start with, and uh, they're just not offering benefits. And the idea that someone, you know, working for ten dollars an hour can go out and buy an insurance plan, it's it's just not reality. And so there's a whole lot of people out there uh, living without it now. So. I, I think, you know, that for sure that something needs to be done uh, primarily, uh, a good place to start would be by cutting costs. And also, as much as I might be a, not a truster of the government, I, I mean, I think the government has to get involved to, to uh, figure out a way that people in that $10 an hour category or below can actually get some quality coverage. Well, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Back with us. Oh. Yeah, sorry about that. Actually, you know, I mean, there really technically aren't that many people that aren't covered or don't have coverage available because Medicaid and Medicare, between those two, you cover the very old and um, the pretty poor, and a lot of states have child health insurance now that pretty much anyone can get, and it's not that expensive. But there's there's that gap in there, like you were talking about, where somebody's making 10 12 bucks an hour at a, at a job that doesn't have health insurance, but they can't afford to go out and pay $520 a month for um, 
you know, insurance out of what they make. So that's that's what I think they're trying to address, and it's really being blown out of proportion. I mean, you know, on the one end they're saying, well, well the solution is we just cover everybody, you know, and then the other side saying, well, no, I mean, free market says, you know, people need to buy their own. And um, a lot of that, I think, is because companies, like I was saying, tried so hard to shift all these expenses onto the employee, and now if there's taxes imposed to pay for the health care for all those people that they shifted out into the public sector, then they have to pay the taxes for everybody, and then they lost the advantage they gained. And, um, you know, but, I mean, it just depends on how you look at that, too, because if you look at just health care expenses, federal health care expenses, and, well, okay, and if you lump retirement in, Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security, I think, make up about 70 to 80% of the federal budget. That's where all the tax money goes. And, you know, at the same time, most all of the big corporations don't actually pay federal taxes. There's all these loopholes, and all they have to do is spend all the money they earn, essentially, and they don't show a profit, and they don't pay taxes. So it's really the average taxpayer who's paying for the entire federal government because we're the ones that still pay taxes. And um, so, you know, and, and okay, and then the, the rest of that, I was writing about it last night, and I kind of forgot the whole example. But it was um, so, like, the top – 10% of the population controls 80% of the wealth. That leaves 20% for the rest of us. And it's out of that 20% that the rest of us pay for, you know, the entire federal budget. That's that's pretty crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. So it's just, you know, yeah, and it's, it's good that people have coverage, and, you know, you can trace it back and say, okay, companies are cutting costs by not paying for it anymore. So now do we all have to pay for it? There's another, you know, bill added on to what we already have. So I just think, you know, it hasn't really been explained enough to the general public beyond those polarized extremes so that people can make a rational choice. You know, like, well, who do, who should pay for this? You know, yeah, it's, it's socially it's a good thing, and, um, you know, everybody needs to have available affordable health coverage. But what role can can the insurance companies play in this? What role can the medical industry play in this? Because nobody's saying, well, for example, doctors, I mean, not doctors, but lawyers have to do a certain percentage of cases pro bono. I'm not sure the exact law there, but, you know, there's some kind of requirement, which is free. They have to do a little bit of proof there and there. Why not have doctors do the same thing? Doctors make a good living, you know, I mean. 120, 150, 200, 300,000 a year, that's a good living. So what's wrong with uh, 10% of your cases being free? What's wrong with that? Nothing. You know? So, and that's an option that nobody even talks about. I've never even heard it mentioned. No, I, I tried to uh, get into uh, what they were actually planning, and I, and I know that there's several bills out there now, and the Senate's working on a third version, I don't know the number of it. What I actually researched was HR 3200, and I was trying to discern with the, with the limited amount of uh, legal ease ability that I have what 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 it was that they were shooting for. And uh, one thing I didn't see in there that I think really needs to be emphasized is, is along the lines of what you're talking about would be cost cutting. And, and there's a whole lot that can be done there. And I think that really uh, the, the place they need to start one place, and it's talked about a lot is tort reform uh, and just establishing some ground rules for that because the way things are right now about 10% of the money that's spent on health care ends up getting tied up in tort reform now I know that the trial lawyers would throw a lower number on it and I also know that most doctors aren't in a position to speak to it because everything they say can and will be used against them so they can't comment directly on it very often so you don't don't hear a whole lot of doctors but if you get uh, for example I heard an interview with an orthopedic surgeon and uh, his medical malpractice insurance premiums were 200,000 a year according to him so that's $4,000 a week so the first uh, at $100 a pop the first 40 people that surgeon sees every week goes directly to a malpractice insurance company so that's huge and I think that that you know that we could start there and uh, just 
create a lose or pay system for medical malpractice. I mean, there are legitimate lawsuits, and I don't want to. I, I have a personal friend who died because of a misdiagnosis, so I know how much that hurts, and I know that there are legitimate lawsuits, but. I think that the uh, first place to start for the politicians in the way of cost-cutting would have to be uh, along the lines of, of uh, you know, changing the litigation laws. And they get a whole lot more people on board. And that, and that could take a 10% chunk out of it right there and maybe take that $600 premium and get it down to 5 or whatever. Yeah, well, they're working on a tort reform, right? That's, I mean, it's, I haven't looked at the, seen much about this bill, but... Don't, what, what, what have you heard about that? I mean, that's in there somewhere, isn't it? Uh, I didn't see it. What I did was it's 1,017 pages, so I just – what I was doing was some along the uh, lines of what Mike was mentioning, that, that there's people saying that, you know, like, every, like there's always a line drawn in the sand. You know, you just can't have a rational discussion. You just can't talk facts. If you do, you're going to get a label slapped on you. So you're you're a left-wing kook, a right-wing kook, you're a communist, you're this, you're that, and, and the discussion never happened. But I didn't see directly in HR 3200 where they were dealing with litigation at all. It, it's possible that it was in there. I, I referenced uh, specific things, but I didn't come across that. So if it was in there, I'm not aware of it. The bill that the Senate's working on, they're just releasing a, a, an overview. They refuse to release specifics while they're working on it. And last week they voted 12-11 against allowing a 72-hour uh, reviewing period before they vote. So what the Senate's saying is whatever they're going to vote on, and if they do that within the next month or so, we're not going to have the opportunity to look at it even. So it's hard to say where they're at in, in relation to tort reform. But uh, I just think it's critical to get the cost down as much as you can. That represents 10% right there. So. Well, that and, you know, I was just sitting here listening and thinking about, uh, you know, the cost of medicine and I, I, I don't know. This is such, such a huge, huge ordeal here. I mean, because you think, I was looking the other day, you know, like 60 or 70% of all uh, uh, bankruptcies are due to, uh, you know, health costs, you know. Uh, so, and I don't think we're going to see what's in the bill anyway, but uh, uh, I. I, I just don't know what's going to happen with this thing. But now, are Mike? Are you for the? Uh, are are you for the uh, nationalized health care? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. Just as, as a counterpoint to the percentage you just said on uh, on um, how many people uh, go bankrupt and stuff. Yeah. But then you have to look at also the percentage of illness that's caused by people's lifestyle. So. I mean, you have to say, okay, well, you, you smoked for 30 years, you drank every day, and now you had to have, you know, a lung removed and, and whatever, and why should we have to pay for that? Because you created the situation yourself, and if you go bankrupt over it, I'm real sorry, dude, you know? I mean, but, the, you know, you get to that point, and then, well, Medicaid will take care of you, SSI will take care of you, because those are programs that are already there. It's just like that safety net concept, you know, in, in a free society you can do whatever you want, spend your money where you want to, and if you fall on your face, well, at least there's a net there to catch you. But, you know, that then the debate becomes, you know, how far up does that net have to go, you know? And, and if 70% of the illness that we have is caused by the way people act, why should everybody, you know, be responsible for, for fixing your mistakes, you know what I mean? So that's, that's one way to look at it. But then, you know, it's... The whole safety net concept is good. There's nothing wrong with it. it and, you know, but as, as far as the public option, I mean, in a sense, if it saves money overall, you know, if there's a way to do it that saves money, not just for people, but for the taxpayers too. You know, I mean, you're looking right now at that safety net being 70% of the federal budget. So how can we reduce that to 50%, 30%, and still get – the services we want out of it, you know, that's supposed to be the function of government. But but when you have trial lawyers writing the law to reform trial lawyers, I, I don't really think you're going to get a whole lot of movement on the whole issue in the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That occurred to me. 
you got you got a bunch of lawyers. And you know what, too, Mike? It, it isn't just the, the trial lawyers themselves. There, there's also thousands and thousands of defense attorneys that would be unemployed without the litigation because they're on the other side being paid to defend the doctors. So it, it's it's a huge amount of money. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of other things that you could easily think of that could cut medical costs. Like you open the, the U.S. drug market to, to foreign manufacturers, and that would cut a lot of costs. You know, your, your prescription bills, if you're, say, elderly and you're on a lot of prescription meds, might go from 500 bucks a month to 50 bucks a month. You know, and then the FDA could monitor quality and everything and make sure it's what it's supposed to be. But, you know, somehow globalization never reaches certain industries. The drug industry is one of them. You know, if you can buy the same drugs we get here in Canada for 40, 50, 60% less, why can't we do that? You know, yeah. that's, yeah. that's, which is, that's free trade. People, yeah, which a lot of people used to do, but then they put a halt for that, too. Right, and who did that? Was it the people that were buying the drugs? No, it was the drug industry. Right. You know, and, and the whole idea of free trade is the free movement of goods and services. But apparently it's only when it goes in the corporation's favor, not when right. it goes in the favor of the public. No, you know, other interesting... not, not when it's only, only when it's in their benefit, not ours. Right. I mean, another interesting concept that's come up has, is the virtual doctor's visit thing, where you can just go and visit an office where there's an RN or a physician's assistant, and they'll, they'll you know, do a quick exam, and they're connected by a video link to an actual doctor who, you know, approves the diagnosis and everything and, you know, writes whatever prescription they need. And that can, you know, maybe be 20 bucks a visit as opposed to 120 Plus, it frees the doctors up a lot. They can cover five or six offices from one central location. And then if you take that to another step and say, well, if you open up the market and then make virtual visits available, you can have a doctor in Mexico owning five or six doctor's offices in the States and, and charging Mexican rates, you know, because a lot of people, if they're positioned right to do it, are, and I've seen this in the news, are now just going to Mexico for medical, dental, whatever, because it's so much cheaper. So, you know, and that's, again, that's free trade. That's the free market. They have something set up down there. They deliver the same service for a significantly reduced cost, and the consumers respond. When they can, they take advantage of that service. And in theory, that should drive down the prices in the U.S., but it doesn't because most people can't access that service. Wow. wow, I know. I never even thought of that. That's that. That's an excellent idea. As a matter of fact, my son was uh, sick with bronchitis, and they, he, you know, I'm not a doctor, but you know, it was pretty obvious what was ailing him. And we thought about where can we take him on Sunday, and you know, the truth is, is a situation like you're talking about. Uh, it was an easy diagnosis that a nurse could have made, and 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 we could have got him handled. We didn't end up taking him for treatment because it would have involved the emergency room. I didn't want to do that, and he started getting better on Monday. But yeah, that that would be a great thing if if we could. Uh, that that would lower cost tremendously and allow the doctor to to see that many more patients just for sitting at his laptop. That would work on on. Uh, pretty obvious conditions like that. Well, I mean, and it's, you know, at our hospital, Geisinger, which is a huge hospital, uh, you don't even see the doctor most of the time in family medicine. You only get as far as a nurse or a physician's assistant, and they make the diagnosis, they rate the prescription, the doctor approves it, and then you're done. So it's a concept that's already being done in, in, at physical locations, and all you were looking at there is just the extra video link. Well, I've 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 heard of other ones talking along these lines, and they always bring up, um, well, you're going to lose the doctor-patient relationship, you know. But I don't really know if there's that much of that going on anymore, anyway. Yeah, right. Like I said, you never even see the doctor anymore, anyway. Usually. Yeah. yeah that's another thing is that uh, that I hear commented on a lot was about the uh, the fact that uh, you know in a government-run system, which I don't I don't I don't particularly support. Specific that they're paying the doctor, you know. There's there's other ways, and we'll get to them. But that already there are insurance companies. I took a family member. Well, actually, the ambulance took the family member to the hospital, and they were quite sick. And then I went home, and three hours later, I got a call, and they pushed the person out in a wheelchair. And, and I said, "Why are you putting this person out? They're extremely ill." And they and the, the bottom line was the insurance company refused to pay for the admission. 
So the next day he went back to the hospital. But so already we have a situation that exists with even with private insurance companies where where they do make life and death decisions. You know, the difference is obviously that you could sue the insurance company, you couldn't sue the government, but it's not perfect the way it is. You took him where, Barry, to to the hospital? The ambulance took the family member to the hospital, and they were they were okay. very very ill. And then okay. I got called home. I got called home, called home from work. And then I went to visit them, and they were in the bed and everything and being taken care of. And I said, look, i got to go get some dinner. So I went home, and then I got a telephone call. You, you need to pick the person up. And, and they pushed him out of the hospital. The insurance company said, we're not paying for a readmission. And that was the end of it. I mean, so, I mean, there's already some things going on that, uh, that aren't good with the insurance industry. Well, that's just another thing um, is... For example, I've I've read a little bit on various blogs the discussions that people are having about it, and one thing I see coming up is you know like younger people, you know like I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm perfectly healthy, I never go to the hospital except maybe once a year I'll go if I get the flu or something. Why should I pay 500 and some dollars a month for health insurance? And if there's a public option and it costs me money, why should I have to pay that when I'm not even sick? And, you know, I thought about it, and really there's a point there because I never get sick, really. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've been to the doctor once this year because I mashed my hand. But, you know, what about that kind of person? Shouldn't there be, you know, a better option, a lower-cost option for that? And I thought about it a while, and, I, you know, I remember that you can actually buy a pretty comprehensive major medical policy that doesn't cover things like, you know, little doctor's visits for a sniffle and stuff. It's for actual major events for maybe 100 bucks a month. And for people like that, it's, you know, pretty much anybody can afford 100 bucks a month. And if anything major happens, you're covered. And if it's anything little, well, you just pay it out of your pocket. What's wrong with that? Why, why don't more people take advantage of that? I bet out of the... 53 million people that don't have insurance, there's a large percentage that could afford a policy like that. And they're available, but yet nobody talks about it. I, I think a lot of people, Mike, really aren't aware that they are available. What, what, one of the things about the, uh, the uh, uh, HR 3200 that bothered me was they would outlaw those type of plans. It was but basically putting down a minimum coverage that was beyond what you're talking about. But yeah, I call those catastrophic plans, and I'm not sure if that's 100% accurate, but something with like a $5,000 deductible where someone in their 20s could just take doctor visits out of pocket, and then if something, a car accident or something, they'd be covered. And yeah, I think if people were aware that they could get such a plan, um, more of them would. I, I think a lot of people don't, e don't even understand. They just keep hearing the $10,000 a year figures and aren't even aware that they could buy something like that. Right, because that's the way the thing goes. Here, worst case, you know, and then nobody talks about. We might might lose be losing you a little bit, but then you know, if you say you know, you know, Barry, he was saying that uh, a lot of people can afford that, but a lot of people are on the poverty level. So I mean, sometimes a lot of these people out here, a couple hundred a month to come up with is pretty difficult to do. Yeah, well, I'm coughing up, you know, in the neighborhood of 350 a month for the plan I got, which is a copay, and and it's stretch it's stretching me, and I make a decent dollar, and it's continually increased, and and it's not the employer's fault. I mean, that what the, they're on the receiving end of a continually increasing oh, premium, yeah. and I'm not uh, faulting them, but you know, the truth be known, uh, there are people that 100 dollars is out of their pocket, and that that that's where. Uh, where vouchers would come in. I mean, if you have someone that's in that circumstance who really couldn't afford that plan, then I, then I think, you know, if we're going to involve government money, if we can cut the waste through tort reform, if we can cut the waste through uh, uh, medical uh, billing, medical records being in electronic format would help a lot. There's a massive amount of fraud going on, particularly in Medicare and Medicaid, and what they're dealing with is, is cases and cases of forms, and nobody can, no, no. It's humanly impossible to uh, to catch on to the uh, to the fraud that way. That'd knock out another 10%. So if you know, if you could knock out 20%, you could get the cost down to a level that you, there's a couple ways you could do it. A voucher for the people that really couldn't cough up the money up front, 
the other option would be a tax credit or at least a tax deduction under current law. Uh, and a, you know, an employee, as you know, you can pay everything pre-tax, and the employer, it's a tax deduction. But a lot of people that just go out and buy their own plans, if they're not uh, incorporated or something, they actually can't even deduct it from their income tax unless the law has changed in the last year or so. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, I think this whole thing, of course, has just been created by the government anyway. I mean, if you look back, because uh, what I hear a lot, and Mike, I see you, you dropped off, but you're you're back with us. I see you there. Uh, what what I hear a lot is, uh, well, why do I have to worry about, you know, this kind of thing anyway? I mean, because anybody can go to the ER and not be turned down. But Whoa. That, that has been one of the things that has really crushed us, especially in California, where when, uh, you know, a year or two years or so ago, so many hospitals were closing down because they just couldn't absorb the cost anymore. Well, it's happening in the local hospital uh, where I live. They're not directly saying the reason why, but they laid off 200 people. They call them non-essential, and they were talking about jacking uh, a little bit on the real estate tax, which I was kind of happy to. I'm happy to pay if it's going to the hospital. And my wife got, believe it or not, got bit by a snake, and uh, we didn't know if it was poisonous or not. But I took her to the emergency room. This is probably going back about 18 months, and uh, whatever day of the week it was, it was wall-to-wall people, and it, and it didn't appear most of them had health insurance. It kind of it kind of looked like a, it was being used as a doctor's office. So ultimately, all that's going to be – currently right now, 50% of, of all medical expenses are paid by the federal government as it is. So, you know, if, if we're already paying for it, maybe we can figure out a cheaper way to already pay for it, if you know what I mean, because – Emergency room visits are, are are unbelievably expensive compared to you know especially if someone just needs a prescription for some antibiotics or just needs a a a, a bandage on their arm you know for little stuff like that so I think if we addressed it in a way that uh, get get some kind of coverage on people we could clear out the emergency rooms and stop stop them from bellying up I know quite a few hospitals bellied up in California I can't tell you how many but it's more than it's more than a couple so it's really getting to be an issue. There was a bunch because I mean, so many people were using the ER just to just because like of things like they uh, a cold or they had a splinter in their finger, you know, ridiculous things like that. And there was a bunch of them, especially in California, that bellied up. Yeah, that's why I would get. Go ahead, Mike. I see you. You're you're popped back on there. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. I I lost the signal. That's okay. I don't know if you'd heard what we were talking about, but we were talking about the abuse of the ER, you know, the emergency room and uh, all the hospitals that kind of bellied up in California a year or so ago. And um, I just look at that as that's something that, you know, we kind of created ourselves anyway. Well, in a sense, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people that don't have money just use the ER because they more or less have to treat you when you go in and you know there's no way really to collect on somebody that doesn't have any money well that's true I mean you know and I don't you know I don't think we ought to turn anybody away but uh, it caused a lot of belly ups to go down but uh, Barry what or Mike what's the um, I, who was it the, the other day? Pelosi saying that they're going to get this thing passed uh, by uh, when November? Is that what they said? Did you hear? I I think that's that's the general goal. But you know, again, well, what you're just talking about the ER. There's a good incentive to have everybody have some kind of plan, but it's just a question of how. You know, there's all those things that could be done to cut costs, and you know. The younger people, the healthy people that could probably afford a policy that's already in existence, and that leaves you a pretty small percentage of people that are actually seriously ill that need a more or less standard kind of policy. So now for people like that, what would be wrong with expanding basically Medicaid and putting a copay on it? So that, you know, Medicaid actually can make, well, not make some money, but defray some of the costs by putting a copay on the coverage. You know, if you're above the actual poverty line, okay, you have to pay 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month up to a limit where, you know, now you can afford your own policy. See what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, not, a, 
it's just now, what are they saying now, Barry, that um, Medicare or Medicaid is bankrupt or will be in a year? Or, but, I mean, I see what you're saying. That's one way to maybe save it. Well, well, that's what I'm hoping for, you know, because ultimately the medical costs are going to be there, and, and me, me and you ain't getting any younger, Alan. You know, we might be, we might be uh, needing some Medicaid ourselves down the road, Medicare, and uh, if we can at least get the cost as reasonable as possible, and uh, it would help a lot. I think, I think a lot of what happens, and it isn't that everybody that goes in the emergency room without insurance is a bad person, because I mean, I mean, I think every individual has a personal responsibility to pay their medical bills if, if it's possible. But having been, all of us, I think, at different points in our life, been in positions where we couldn't even if we wanted to, it's right. kind of an, uh, a lot of times when it comes to medical coverage, it's more of a, a, an accident of, of, of who you're employed by, you know. And if someone doesn't, uh, I mean, I, I think the current system substantially penalizes people that are in, in lower-wage jobs because they, they're, they're really in a rock and a hard place. They can't afford to buy the coverage, and and their employers aren't offering it. So so it's, re, it's really a, a situation where even though they want to, even they would love to. I mean, they got kids, man. You know, you know, everybody wants their kid to have health insurance, and you know, I just think that somehow we need to devise a way to uh, to take care of those people. It's just that the uh, the issue for me would be whether you do you put them on Medicaid. Or um, one option is what the federal employees, it's called the FEHBP, and it's a Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, and it's a shopping mall for plans, you know, but they're all private plans. So what the congressmen and what the federal employees can do, they can pick what suits them best out of a list of, uh, I'm just going to say a dozen, I don't know the exact, a dozen plans, and depending on their age and their circumstances and and how much they want to cough up on their end, they they have some options. But currently, um, there's 1,300 insurance companies in the United States. And, for example, New York State uh, is 20% higher on average premium than New Jersey. But someone who's in New York who's sitting there right right, right across the Hudson from New Jersey, they can't buy insurance in New Jersey even though it's 20% cheaper. So I think if we had 50-state competition and offered up a number of plans, that you know that that could solve a lot of it. I mean, as much as possible, I'd like to see people who can afford to have insurance to to uh, to, to pay for it with private money. Okay. Yeah, I heard something about that too. But hey, I I agree with that too. They've got to open up. They they're going to have to open up the borders, you know, you know, along our state lines to you know just so people can shop. And uh, but I don't even know if they're really even talking about doing that. I mean, have you heard that as part of the plan? Kind of a, a you know, fifty forty-eight state free trade type thing. No, no, I, I like I say, the Senate's operating in secrecy. I, I don't know no, what they got true. going on. I don't know exactly what they got going on, but it would be nice. I'd just like to see the uh, private – I'd just like as much as possible to see it done through private insurance companies. But with 1,300 spread out over 50 states, it's just – it's pretty crazy. And every one of them, that's 1,300 offices and 1,300 secretaries and 1,300 – I mean, you can just take it, expand that out and, and know that it's potentially yeah. – okay, State Farm and GEICO uh, compete for, for, for uh, car insurance, and, and, and it drives the rates down. Yeah. And, and and it tends to increase quality. Uh, one of the reasons that it's so uh, specific to states is that each state has their own set of regulations as far as what an insurance company uh, covers. So they don't, you know, it's probably a situation where in New Jersey you don't have to cover as much, therefore the premiums less. But if we could just come up with 50 state uh, insurance and someone could just go online and, and scan, hey, who, who's the cheapest? And what are they offering? I think that could cut into the cost substantially there. In a way, there's no competition the way things are situated right now. And the insurance companies, if they if they if they rule the roost in that particular state, then heck, you know, they can they can definitely. Uh, well, you well you know what it's like if you're the only if you're the only uh, guy with a truck in town, you can make more money, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it kind of reminds me along the lines of credit cards. They kind of got you too, you know. I mean, no one really regulates them either. Now, well, they would have to be regulated, but I think it'd be easier to regulate them over the course of 50 states than than the way things are going on now, and it, oh, yeah. it would have. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to consumer choice, and if you give consumers the right choices, then 
you know, they'll make the right decisions in, in a lot of cases. For example, you get a Visa MasterCard debit card from your bank, which does all the things that a credit card will do as far as being able to book a flight or, you know, use it in, in that capacity, and yet you don't get any of the credit card charges because it takes directly out of your bank account. So, you know, a consumer can have all the advantages of a credit card other than running up a massive credit bill at 30% interest and be financially responsible at the same time. So I, there's always a solution. It's just a matter of talking about it and finding it. And, you know, it's, it's there. It's always there. There's always a solution. But it's just is what's being discussed now on either end of the spectrum the best solution, and it doesn't really seem like it is. Well, that's what, you know, Barry, you were kind of saying, too. Uh, you know, we we don't know what's really being discussed. I mean, that's you know, the- and they're trying to, uh, originally they were trying to, you know, push it through so fast, and now they're saying, well, we'll slow down a little bit. But nothing is out in the front. It's all being hidden. And, you know, that's the scary part because uh, if it does go through like that, I, I mean, I think it's just going to be a total disaster myself. Well, I'm I'm concerned, you know, there was a, uh, when I, like I say, when I read through what, what was available online, and, and I wasn't surprised that it, that it, that it looked like, uh, like, like the uh, Chinese newspaper to me, you know, I mean, I don't have a degree in law, and I, I thought it was just me, and then I heard a lawyer who's a uh, media person now, and, and the, the, the lawyer said, geez, I can't make any sense out of this, it's very muddy. And yeah. they asked the uh, senator, they said, why is this so muck- mucky, I think is the word they used. And the senator said, blah, 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 you know. But it would appear that that what what could come out of it, if it's not extremely specific, is that you, you, you get a situation where it gets formed as time goes on. So I, I think, if, if anything, as far as the current legislation goes, they, they ought to just heave it all in the trash and then come up with a 200-page plain English document to the degree as possible with very, very specific uh, what they're doing, you know, a lot, a lot of the resistance to it. I, I bet you 90% of people off the top of my head out there want everybody to have health insurance. I, I, I'd be surprised that people wouldn't want someone to have coverage, you know. But a lot of the fear comes from, from this, this gray area, you know, things like the secretary's uh, reference constantly in there, and the secretary makes all these decisions. And who in the world is the secretary going to tell me if I can go in a hospital or not? You know, I want the doctor to make that decision. So, um, I, I really don't know what they're up to, but I'm just hoping that they can sit down. There's 100 senators. I mean, let's, let's let all 100 uh, contribute, and you know, potentially we could come up with something that the American people could go online and read and understand and, and support and be willing to cough up some money for. So I, th- I think it's just a real hazy area right now, exactly what they're planning. And I think they need to get you know, come forward and, and say, here, A, B, C, D, just bullet point it for me. I can handle that, you know. Yeah, well, they're going to have to, and I think that's what the big problem is. I mean, because there's so many, uh, I mean, it hasn't gone through, and it keeps getting shoot, shot down, and, you know, they just keep working and working. You know, I, I think they could probably come up with a plan that would work, but then what I do is I look at other countries that are under a nationalized health plan, and most of them are yelling basically screaming at us, don't do it because it doesn't work. So when I look at that, then I wonder, well, what kind of plan could they come up with that would work? Well, I, I say personally that, you know, keep the private insurance in the, you know industry, let it run through them, allow them 50-state competition, you know, com- compress the 1,300 insurance companies into a more reasonable number. That will drive up the efficiency and also, at that point, you know, the people that can't afford it, uh, something along the lines like Mike said, you know, well, you know, we can give them something affordable. But I, I just, I think a lot of the, a lot of the challenges with the socialized uh, type uh, medicine in other countries, and 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 there are, I've been a number of people that get interviewed that claim that it's it works great unless you have a major problem. So uh, that we could potentially avoid that by by voucher tax tax credits. So, okay, example. Uh, now, I'm just going to pick a number out of a hat here. Now, a lot of people don't understand the difference between tax credit and tax deduction. Now, tax deduction 
would be if you take the cost of the premium and deduct it from your gross income, and then you would pay less taxes. A tax credit is a dollar-per-dollar dollar reduction in the amount of taxes you owe. So, for example, if you gave someone a $5,000 tax credit if they found their own insurance, and at the end of the year they uh, they owed $1,000 uh, federal income tax, they would get a $4,000 check towards towards the uh, – that they could use towards the cost of the health insurance. So it would create a situation where someone is using their private funds to buy the insurance, and then at the end of the year they'd get a substantial amount back in the form of a tax credit. So it would incentivize uh, people to go out and do that So without assessing a penalty necessarily on them. The penalty would be if, if you don't, in fact, get insurance, then you don't get that tax credit. So, you know, stuff like that would work better, and, and – and, uh, it would get a whole lot more people insured. Yeah, yeah I see what you're saying. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, well, no, I, I agree with that. There's, you know, that's, that's another option. Well, it's just like, I mean, you hear all this talk now, oh, socialist and communist and this and that. But what's really funny when you think about it is in any socialist or communist country that we've we've seen to date, the same situation exists that exists in the United States being a capitalist country in that the top 1% of the population controls the entire wealth of the nation. Uh-huh. You know, in a communist country, the, the political leadership controls everything. In a socialist country, pretty much the same thing. And in the United States, it's the capitalists that control everything. So it, it, they're not really that different. And I think, you know, really a free society has a certain obligation to the less fortunate, the ill, etc. And I don't think that really goes against what anybody believes in, you know, whether religiously or otherwise. However, it's just a matter of how much of a percentage that is and, and where the money comes from and how much people are responsible to take care of themselves. Well, I... Well, something you said earlier, I, I think one one thing we need to do is not, knock it off with the Twinkies and the Budweiser and the Marlboros. <laughs> I mean, I, I think at some level, and I, I'm a guy in a glass house throwing rocks here, but I, I think ultimately a whole lot more focus needs to be on not getting ill in the first place because a lot of it is unnecessary, uh, and, and that would that would help a lot. As far as the, the socialist uh Thing I, I I don't know. Fact is that Social Security, socials. I mean, you, you you could just name any government program and throw the socialist label on. I don't know that healthcare is any any different, you know. Because in a lot of cases, we're already paying for it. It's just it's just showing up in Medicaid and it's showing up as emergency room uh, visits rather than than the direct premium being paid. But yeah. Well, I don't know. I like my Twinkies. <laughs> And I don't know, you know, does the government really have the right to tell me what I can eat and not eat? You know, I don't think so, but... Oh, oh no, 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 no. I wasn't, I'm not suggesting that, uh, quite quite the opposite. I'm just saying that we as individuals need to be taking some personal responsibility. I'm not saying that if somebody... Oh, yeah, points, I see. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. It's all about responsibility. But, you know, yeah, but, then I, always, I always have to throw in there and look at the, uh, you know, the poor in this country, too, and... You know the poverty stricken and stuff, and and you know I hear I heard a talk show host the other day saying you know there's really no poverty in America. Well, I don't know where he's living, but man, you can drive through some of those back hills of Kentucky and you can see some poverty like you've never seen before. Oh, oh yeah, it's out there, uh, and and uh, I'm painfully aware of it. I I think that uh, it's all numbers to most people, and then. The truck drivers, you, you know, you, you we we go places where any sane person wouldn't even go. <laughs> you know, yeah. at, at least yeah. not without a flak vest on. So, well, I'd be I mean, curious to know. Well, I'd be curious to know what other drivers are experiencing with their uh, with their health care. I mean, I I know some have just dropped it because it's just become too expensive, even from their employer. I think these insurance insurance companies are just hiking up their premium costs due to uh, all the talk about this nationalized health care. And I, if something doesn't change, I just see it, I just see it you know, crashing down. So it, it, it's a big problem, you know. I, I, I 
just sit back and see what's going to happen. I guess I don't know. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to get anything passed on the na- uh, national level. That's just me. Well, well, I believe that uh, that there's a good chance something will pass. It's just what what is that going to be, you know? And and if they would just pull a point off and, and just hit some specific things for right now, I mean, if all they did right now was just cut costs, you know, uh, there's there's six thousand hospitals in this country, and one of them in particular, and there's a couple of them, but Mayo Health Clinic uh, operates at thirty percent less than the average. So just imagine if everyone adopted the, the procedures that Mayo is using, and that's an excellent, excellent health system. That, that there, there was a massive cut. Could you just imagine a 30% cut in Medicare costs because all the hospitals operated under the standards that they're operating on, and, and just kind of come up with a best practices, you know, figure out, hey, what are these guys doing different? And, uh, you know, like I say, the more affordable a thing gets, the more people are likely to get it on their own. And with oh, a combination yeah, of – Go ahead combination of what well with a combination of reduced costs and those uh, tax credits and for the really poor people I mean you're, we're just gonna have to cough up a voucher <laughs> you know I don't see any other way that that, that uh, a convenience store worker is going to be in a position to, to, to really come up with, uh, with with a health insurance premium every month but, but there is possibilities out there but it's going to take somebody looking in that direction you know yeah yeah, well, I don't even know about convenience store. I mean, some of these, uh, uh, even people making decent money is getting getting hard to afford. So, but it, they may come up with something. I mean, they're definitely working on it. They're definitely not going to give up. But uh, they have a strong opposition, and uh, but who knows? I mean, this is kind of a fascinating thing here to see kind of what comes about. So. I guess we'll just keep it up. But threw out some good ideas. I think the tort reform is an excellent one, too. I wish we knew if that was in there and what that was all about. Every time I hear tort reform, I think about that woman who uh, sued McDonald's for a million dollars for spilling that coffee. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Out, I always want to run out and spill coffee on myself, but I can't do it now. Yeah, well, I think they need to change the name. I think a lot of people think tort reform is some kind of pastry or something. You know, it doesn't – I don't know what <laughs> I think if people, you know, litigation led to, you know, restraints or something along those lines. But it, it, it's just uh, not fair to the population. It's something that Mike was hitting on there, you know, that ultimately, uh, you know, you have a situation where maybe in another country the government is ruling, is ruling the roost, and then here you have a situation where 10% of the population has 80, 80 or 90% of the wealth, and they're ruling the roost, and you know, uh, yeah. I, I think that in, in our situation, that one of those uh, rulers of the roost is the trial lawyers. You know, and for for as much good as they do, uh, I, I've worked for companies that have been in a position where they they've settled out of court on stuff that wasn't even their fault, but they knew that coughing up thirty, forty thousand was cheaper than than paying a, uh, paying to uh, fight the thing. So it's a lot of it's kind of sling. It's called mud slinging. You sling mud up against the wall every now and then, it'll stick. But that's the current state of affairs with uh, with, with litigation and medical malpractice. And the other flip side to that is, is uh, one, of the, one of the things that they suggested several, uh, probably about five years ago was capital awards at 300000 Well, there's legitimate mal- medical malpractice suits that cost a couple hundred thousand just to put together, and they're legitimate. So, you, you know, putting a cap on it, uh, I, I think personally a loser pays. I, I, I mean, if, the, if if you know going in that, you, you know, that, that you're liable to have to cover the other person's legal expenses, you're very less likely to sue for no good reason. So yeah, that 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 would solve it. But I know, like something Mike was saying, you know, you got lawyers uh, writing legislation for lawyers, so I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I know. Well, well, we lost Mike. He dropped off. He might have reached his destination. <laughs> he was doing this whole thing while driving on on his phone, so he must have uh, got where he was at. But um, just got about six minutes here. So anyway, when Mike listens, uh want to thank him for calling in and being a part of the show and giving the ideas and and uh interesting show Barry I mean it's a big thing out there so uh I guess we just kind of sit back and wait and see what happens huh yeah that's something I'd get wrapped up in I, I actually uh you know as I went through the I don't want to acknowledge Mike I mean it's kind of part of the reason that it did the show is that there's we need more people like Mike or or like me and you right now 
that are willing to have the discussion and, and not, not slap a label on somebody and say, here's what might work, here's what might work, here's what might work. And, you know, we just got to get off of this line in the sand, uh, left, yeah. right, lockstep political uh, stupidity, you know. I, I think it's just time. And, and ultimately it's our country. And, you know, I, I, I say everybody should have uh, an opportunity to have quality medical care, you know. I, I just like sure. to see that, that – that smorgasbord of plans like, like like the federal government has, I mean, that, that would do it. Yeah. You know, you, you get 10 or 12. Okay, me, for example. I mean, I'm, I'm big on holistic medicine for, for a fact. Now, at the same time, it, uh, when my wife got hit by the snake, I mean, we were off to the emergency ward. So it's not that I don't want medical coverage, but I, but I, I kind of like a plan offered that, that would allow me to have the uh, – you know, the option of, of not having the doctor visit covered because I know, and, and you know, that they're not going to cover the type of doctor I go to anyway. Right. So, so just having, having, having some options out there uh, and keeping yeah. the government out of it to the degree that is possible as far as specifics uh, uh, of the insurance coverage, you know, allowing the, the, the private industry to work that part of it, you know. And uh, yeah. you take that 1300 and compress it down to 100 or, you know, 300 or something like that, I have a feeling you just see a whole lot more competition and, and a whole lot better rates and a, and a lot more attention to uh, to the fraud end of it. So Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. All well said. So, okay, well, we've got about three minutes. So, well, thanks, Barry. It's a good show. And, uh, Mike, uh, you listen later. I know you dropped off there, but uh, – uh, Thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And, Barry, we'll catch you next time. All right. Well, good talking to you again, Alan. I'll, 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 I'll catch you somewhere on the on the World Wide Web. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, appreciate everybody joining in. Uh, be sure to check out uh, blogtalkradio.com slash truthabouttrucking for our schedule show. And uh, appreciate you being here. And so until next time, Live. I'm Alex Smith along with Barry Schuster. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.